Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today we're joined by Mark Masters, who covers the Leafs, the World Juniors, and tennis for TSN. Um, Mark, before we get started, I just want to say I feel like I know you pretty intimately through just watching you at ungodly hours uh, during the Aussie Open or or maybe uh, Wimbledon. So thanks so much for for coming on and taking the time. Happy to to do it. Um, I first wanted to ask you a little bit about your career. When did you first think you might want to pursue a career in, in sports journalism? Oh, for, from as long, for as long as I can remember, you know, I was doing play-by-play into, into my fist at gym class in elementary school. So I've been, you know, dreaming of it for a long time and feel very lucky and grateful that I was able to kind of get my dream job. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, I know you went to to Carleton and, and maybe tell us a little bit about your your journey um, to going to Carleton and then a little bit about coming to TSN. Yeah, knowing that I wanted to pursue journalism, uh, Carleton obviously has a good reputation uh, as a for as being a, a top journalism school. I looked at other schools. I also thought it'd be good uh, to kind of move away from home, not too far, obviously. But to experience a new city, I'm a bit of a homer, so it got me a bit out of my comfort zone. Um, and so I had a great experience in in Ottawa, and it set me up uh, really, really nicely for my career path. Um, there was apprenticeship programs that I was able to get through the school that got me some jobs right out of school with the National Post and the CTV Olympic Consortium, and that led uh, ultimately to TSN. So Carleton, uh, excellent experience, excellent school really grateful for 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 that I had that experience um uh, it was crucial for for my development so can't say enough good things about Carlton and I, I know you did play-by-play and were the sports editor and editor-in-chief of the Charlottetown the the school newspaper what what experiences what did you learn from that experience that kind of translates into your work today as a journalist at TSM yeah I mean it gives you a first of all experience because no one's great at first. Well, very few people are great at first. Um, so it gave me experience. It gave me confidence that I could do it, that I could go to a hockey game, you know, and talk to players and coaches afterwards, ask good questions, write articles, and that the paper would publish it. And then, you know, that I could go on TV and and do play-by-play of college hoops or whatever sport, and that they would like it, and they would ask me back. So it gives you confidence. It gives you, obviously, a, a starting point in your career, um, because the more you do things, the the better you become at it, obviously. And uh, it was a great launching pad, great city, Ottawa, obviously. That uh, you know that 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 he gave me those opportunities. Lots of sports going on there, uh, and I I was great. That the Charlatan was was an ex- excellent, uh, amazing experience for me. Uh, great environment, so much fun. Great outlet uh, to build, not just kind of, you know. Obviously, you learn from your courses. Mm-hmm. but gives you a little bit of additional boost there too. So it was great. And and I know you you mentioned that you went to the National Post um, and, and then went to, to TSN. How, can you just explain like what it was like to, to get your first job and then to get go to TSN? What How did you feel when you, you landed your, your dream job? I got uh, through the apprenticeship program at Carleton. I, I got a job at the National Post. In, not a job at the National Post. I got an apprenticeship, a three-week apprenticeship, December of my final year at Carleton, really enjoyed it, made a good impression, had some pieces published in the National Post that was really cool, National mm-hmm. Newspaper, 
I was still in school at the time. Um, they liked what I did and they invited me to be a summer intern. Um, so I came back, I did my summer, summer internship and it went well. Um, and I had a great time and, uh, they didn't have a job at the time after that, but they said they really liked me. If something opened up in the future, they would definitely consider me. I got another apprenticeship through the Carleton school of journalism to work at the CTV national news. Mm. And that was like six weeks and it was amazing behind the scenes, being a runner, doing some interviews, just contributing to pieces that their, their bureau chiefs were, were doing. Um, I made some good contacts there that, that expired. Um, but thereafter, uh, a job popped up at the CTV Olympic consortium. The Olympics were starting soon. Some of the people that I'd worked for at the CTV national news, they knew this and they said, why don't you come and, uh, and, uh, work for, for them. Actually, you know what? I, I'm forgetting something. Sorry. It's been a while. Right. Uh, I actually, mm -hmm. between, between the, uh, Olympic consortium and, uh, and, uh, CTV national news, I applied for and got a job with TSN working as a story editor in the newsroom. Oh, wow. So there's the people in the background uh, that you see behind the hosts that are watching sports and writing notes and, you know, clipping it. So I did that for a little bit. And then after a few, uh, maybe a month, a couple months of that, uh, I got word from some of my contacts at the national news. They had moved over to the Olympic consortium and they said, okay. we have a job that might be perfect for you that actually I continued to work in the newsroom mm -hmm. at TSN to package uh, highlights of sports, Olympic sports in the, in the run up to Vancouver 2010, because we were really pushing people to, to follow the stories of these great athletes ahead of this huge home Olympics. So I did that. And then once the Olympics, I got to go to the Olympics, which was wow. an amazing experience and work in the Olympic <clears throat> broadcast uh, uh, mm -hmm. building um, as a guest coordinator, helping, uh, you know, set up interviews between Canadian athletes and the many different parts of the consortium. So it was great to be in the in the Olympic Broadcast Consortium, like the heart of that, and to be even a small part of like home Olympics. And when my contract ended, obviously, you know, it, it ended and actually just coincided with the job opening at the National Post. So the National Post invited me back. And then I worked there for uh, about a year and a half covering the Canadian Football League. Mm -hmm. TSN had a job opening. Uh, I got an email from, from someone who worked at TSN and a member of the uh, management and he said, we've heard good things. Dave Naylor, um, oh, yeah. who I got to know at Carleton. Oh. Uh, he was a mentor of mine at Carleton because he's a former sports editor and editor-in-chief at the Charlatan. Mm. And I followed kind of in his footsteps as a sports editor who moved on to editor-in-chief. I had gone to a Charlatan alumni event when I was editor-in-chief. And I met him and he offered to mentor me. And I visited with him and Matt Sakaris, um, uh once a month. Uh, during that school year, they were great. We'd go out, have a drink, and they would. I bring charlatan, and they would break down, you know, what they saw, you know, the stories. Um, and uh, and so Dave Naylor, I guess, is the one who floated my name. So of course, I'm forever indebted to Dave, um, not just for mentoring me uh, when I was in last my in in university, but also, you know, getting my name out there. Um, and. I had a good interview and they hired me and I've been at TSN ever since then, which was October, 2011. So it's been a great run. Uh, a lot of luck along the way. And I'm just kind of still pinching myself that I'm here and I get to do what I'm doing. I, I, I like I, what I, I find really cool about you is that you 
cover like you're a Leafs reporter day in, day out, and then you, you cover tennis and, and those sports aren't kind of directly link and linked. And how does your preparation change for a Leaf story compared to uh, covering a major final or, or, or a tennis event? Well, I don't think preparation changes too much. Um, you you want to be as well-versed on the subject as possible. Obviously, the Leafs is a daily thing during the hockey season, so you're pretty much plugged in, and mm-hmm. you read other journalists, you listen, you you, you try and keep, keep up with everything, and it's the same. It's a little harder on tennis, obviously, because I don't follow it year-round. I mean, you're always following it to a degree, what, what the Canadian players are doing especially, but you're not as obviously in Canada with hockey. So when you're prepping for a grand slam or any sort of tennis coverage, you're maybe need to spend a little more time doing some research and figuring out exactly the nuances of the beat and what exactly is happening so that you know the best way to attack it. But preparation is just, you know, talking and to people if you can and reading and watching interviews that the people that you're going to talk to have done so that you're not repeating yourself or covering ground that hasn't been repeated, trying to find different ways to put a spin in on a story or advance a story. So it doesn't change too much the actual preparation of, you know, for a story, whatever the sport is, you know, you, you're always going to go through your, your process of trying to be as prepared as possible. And I guess to, to, to ask like, what advice would you give to young journalists and, and writers who are coming up these days? Yeah, I mean, it's just to pursue every opportunity, right? So if there's an apprenticeship program that is available to you at your school, certainly serve me well. If there's an opportunity to go to an alumni event where you might meet some other journalists, I met Dave Naylor, Matt Sakaris, and those relationships were crucial for me moving up. And yeah, you just got to stay positive because there are, you know, I feel very lucky to have this job, but there, you know, I'm cognizant of the fact there aren't, there isn't, you know, a plethora of, types of jobs available so i feel very lucky and you maintain that work ethic and you don't take it for granted so that's what i would say and i wanted to to go to the lease that you that you cover day in and day out and they just made a huge trade of course with the ryan o'reilly edition and and you you said on on tsn that you the Leafs have a lot of pressure so much riding on this season how how do you feel about this team going into the playoffs with with all the pressure to win around and maybe the cup, especially with the addition of Ryan O'Reilly and Olachari, who is that's a huge pickup in the bottom six. Uh, how do I feel about the Leafs? I feel that they're a great team, and I'll be really ex- interested to see how this series against Tampa Bay goes. Obviously, the Lightning might make a move, might add a, a player at the, before the deadline. Um, I guess uh, you know I I'm. Uh, I, I feel like they got a great chance, but I all felt that in the past and they, you know, that's the struggle for them is to find a way to break through against an extraordinary opponent and with the weight and the pressure of having not done it before. Obviously one of the reasons Tampa gets a lot of the benefit of the doubt when they have like a loss to a, if they have, if they have a loss, a bad loss or whatever is um, they, they've won, they know how to win. So the least haven't proven that yet. We know O'Reilly knows how to win. Certainly, Achari has a lot of playoff games on his resume, including against the Leafs. So, I just fascinating, fascinating season. A lot of pressure. Kyle Dubas doesn't have a contract beyond this year. Certainly feels like they got to go on a run to save his job. Uh, and, you know, we still have time before the deadline, and they might make another move. So, 
um, yeah, it's exciting. It's a fascinating, exciting time to be covering this team and seeing what, what happens next. As someone that covers them day to day, do you see any difference in the team compared to past years that maybe makes you think that they're more prepared to, to finally beat a team like the Tampa Bay lightning? Uh, not really. I mean, I think that, I think that like individual players are getting better. Like William Nylander is obviously taking a big step. So he's a better player at the same time as Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews isn't quite as dominant as as last year. Maybe he's traded some offense for defense, but no one's going to score 60 goals every season. So you wonder if if maybe there's a little bit of downtick in production from that you can expect from him. Marner is the same. It seems Tavares seems to maybe have added a bit more of a step this year, but he's always kind of Tavares. The defense is missing Muzzin. Um, but the youngsters, Lilligren certainly seems to have taken a step. Um, yeah. Uh, their second pair, right. You know, Giordano and Hall was actually the third pair for much of that series against Tampa. So I'm not sure that the defense is better and the goaltending to me is still a question mark. Matt Murray is, is hurt again. And I don't, you know, probably can't depend on him being healthy at the crucial times. And then Samsonov has played well, but has one playoff win in his career. So goaltending is still a question and you're going up against Andre Vasilevsky is probably the best clutch goalie on the planet. So um, it's hard to track any improvements or in- incremental. I know Kyle Dubas has said he feels that the, the group handles adversity better, back, whether it's back-to-backs or the injuries. They've had a lot of injuries to keep players on defense, certainly. And Murray, of course, has been out. So they have had injuries. They're right up there in terms of man games lost. Muzzin's a big loss that sometimes we lose sight of. Mm-hmm. Um but the bottom line is we we really we really won't know much if this is truly a different team or they figured something out until this yeah. two weeks in in April happens. And and if you're Kyle Dubis between now and the trade deadline, obviously they've traded a lot of assets in the O'Reilly and Achari deal. Where if you were to add, where would you add the to the defense? Their six and goals allowed this year. That you know they've been keeping the puck out of their own net. But where would you like to add and and would a player like Matthew Nyes be involved if you're due this? Well, he's certainly their most attractive trade chip. Uh, if they moved Nyes, you would imagine it would be for a defenseman with term, or at least any player with term. They're not going to move Nyes for a, a rental. Although they did, you know, Dubas said he didn't want to move uh, his first round pick for a rental, and he's just done that. Um, so I would imagine it's a defenseman because, as I mentioned, you know, Lilligren you know, has taken a step this year, but he got benched in the playoffs last year after the first two games. He got sat. Justin Hull came into that series and played decently well. Um, but you've lost Muzzin, who was really good, I felt, solid in that series alongside Brody. Now you have Riley with Brody in the second. So, yeah, you're playing a very deep Tampa team, obviously, with a lot of firepower up front. Sandine did not play in that series last year, struggled at the end of that Montreal Canadiens series. Uh, actually got scratched in game six, um, had to come back in when Muzzin got hurt. So you do wonder if they want to add a bit more of that Muzzin element to the back end and maybe a little more experience. We'll see. Um, but if they are to make another addition, that's certainly what you think, where you think you get it. And maybe Nice will be an addition too. If he doesn't get traded, he'll be eligible to obviously sign as soon as his college season is done. And he's obviously playing really well at the University of Minnesota. Do you, do you think on Nye's point that he's ready to make the NHL and, and have like a like a somewhat 
productive impact? Sure. I mean, again, it's very hard to make the jump and be productive right away. And, you know, complicating matters is if, you know, he makes a run to the national championship, the frozen four is April 4th to the 6th. Hmm. And Minnesota is the top ranked team in the country. They were already at the frozen four last year. If he, he goes all the way this year, that will give him three games at the most to play with the Leafs. If he signs, if he signs, and I think he will, but he hasn't committed to that. Uh, so it's probably asking a lot for a 20 year old to come in and, you know, get thrust into a playoff series against the three time defending conference champs who have won two cups of the last three years, but you know, fourth line left winger, maybe I guess could, could, could uh, be in that role. If so, especially, you know, injuries pop up, certainly can see him getting his feet wet in that last week of the regular season and being ready. If they need someone, they did play Nick Robertson even younger as a rookie in the bubble and against Columbus. Maybe that spoke to their, their depth at the time though. They feel like they're a deeper team now. So the bottom line is, you know, I asked Kyle Dubas about this when he spoke um, right after the all-star break and he said, we're not basically counting on any sort of contribution from, from Nyes. We recognize how tough it is to make that jump. And I think that's the the way to, to, to think about it. You know, you, you, you know, you want to bring him in, you, you're, you want him, you know, you'll be, you want to give him a chance maybe, but you're not counting on it. It would be a pleasant surprise at this stage for this season, at least. And with regards to their forward group, obviously with Achari and O'Reilly, I'm, I'm curious what you think if, or, and what maybe you think uh, Sheldon Keefe will do, will they play O'Reilly as a winger on in the top six or have him as a third line center? Where, where do you see O'Reilly fitting in the lineup? Well, they've started him at second line center and moved John Tavares to left wing, which is interesting. Apparently, Keith had talked to Tavares about this possibility for a while now, but they've never really had the center depth to do it. Keith says he wants to give this look a little runway. He feels like playing O'Reilly in his natural position is the best way to get him comfortable. So we're seeing Tavares, O'Reilly, and Mitch Marner together. Mixed results so far, but obviously they haven't even had it. You know, O'Reilly hasn't even had a practice yet. Got thrown into the fire with two games uh, right away. Um, Willie Land is the third line center and push David Camp down. That that's certainly an option. I think that that's probably what makes sense. But they also like the idea of Camp. You know, between Pierre Engvall and Cali Yarncroke, they feel like that could be a really good third or bottom six line that can be defensively responsible and Engvall's bringing some offense lately. So they're going to experiment down the stretch here. We will see, I'm sure O'Reilly is the third line center at some point, um, which pushes camp down and probably pushes Achari to the wing on that fourth line. But Achari's a right shot, camp's a left shot. So that's important. They can, you know, shift off taking their, their faceoffs on their strong side. So I think we'll get, get different looks and they'll see what makes the, the most sense. Obviously, if you move O'Reilly to, to center, then you still have that who's playing winger right in the top six is it Kerfoot is it Yarncroke what do they do there um but their center depth when center we know is such an important position is certainly improved now and uh we'll see we'll see what if sparks fly with this chemistry and you could always mix mix things even more more around if you want but we'll see if they can get some traction with this with this look and if it helps Tavares who's getting on in age to play on the wing have a little less responsibility although he is excellent on face-offs um so we'll see what happens and and to their goaltending, you you mentioned earlier, obviously when that when they play, presumably the Lightning in in the first round, and the goaltending matchup might feel like just so uneven. Who would you start right now? Presuming Matt Murray would come from 
uh, back from injury in, in, in the playoffs. Well, I can't presume that. <laughs> He's on LTIR, and even if he comes back, he might get hurt. As things stand now, Samson officer guy, no doubt about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's first-round pick, um, got, you know, has a lot to, to a lot of motivation playing on a one-year deal. Uh, and uh, he did play in the playoffs last year against the President's Trophy winners in Florida. He didn't, they didn't, Washington didn't win that series, but he's, at least he's got some pretty recent experience. He's not a two-cup champ two-time cup champion like Murray, but at least he has a little bit of playoff experience under his belt, even if he's only won the one game I mentioned. So as things uh, stand now, it's Samsonov's net. But as Mike Babcock used to say, the truth today is not necessarily the truth tomorrow. So we'll see how these last 20-some-odd games go. Uh, I'm Just to follow up, I'm, I'm curious, do you think they could make a kind of David Riddick-like trade where they get a veteran goalie or do they will they trust Wool and, and Shelgren in that two three um position with Murray out? It seems like they're gonna roll with what they got in that, unless some sort of development happens, like if Samsonov got hurt tomorrow, mm-hmm. maybe that changes the uh, equation. But they feel like Joseph Wall has played really well. Obviously, he has played really well in the AHL, where he's 14 and one this season with a 931 save percentage. They think Eric Shalgren, who was the backup in the playoffs last year when Peter Morazic was hurt, mm-hmm. uh, and actually got into one of those games in Tampa and didn't allow a goal in a relief mop-up performance. He actually looked pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. So he's got some NHL Stanley Cup playoff experience under his belt. They just feel like, yeah, there's like, they want to use their, you know, the limited resources they have because the prospect pool is not as as beefy as some other teams with just how they've been going, you know, trying to win right now and trading picks and whatnot. So I think that their focus isn't on goaltending right now. And Dubas has reiterated that. He said that Murray will come back. He'll be well-rested. And they really only need him to be healthy for a brief window of time if he could stay healthy, maybe. And they like how Samsonov has is, is, is played for much of the year. So Samsonov's net now, it seems unlikely, uh, unless something happens, that they'll make a, a, a move at, in net. Um, and I, I want to go to to the playoffs themselves, if we can flash forward or go forward to, to April and, and May and June. Uh, who's your Stanley Cup pick if you have one and coming out of the East and West and, and the Stanley Cup champion? Yeah, I, 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 it's hard. It's it's hard to know. I, I think it's really hard to pick against Boston just because they're having this historic season right now. So I guess I'll pick Boston in the East and the West is really wide open, but I'll take Edmonton because I just think Connor McDavid is too good. You know, like I just feel like he's going to will them. So Boston Edmonton Cup final. That's what where my mind's at right now. Okay. Do you have a do you have a cup champion out of those two? Nah, I'm not smart enough. No. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and to I wanted to go to tennis that you you cover as well. Um, obviously, there's so many Canadians right now. The best era of Canadian tennis for sure, with Bianca and Layla on the women's side, Rebecca Marino as well, and Felix, Dennis, and Vashik on the men's um not they haven't really none of them have really had a great start to the year but which canadian do you think will have the best 2023 season out of them all well it's probably a easy answer but i'll go with the the highest ranked guy right felix Mm -hmm. ogelia seem um yeah i just think he's maybe it's hard it's been hard to get a read on them early this year as you mentioned no one's really grabbed hold of the imagination so far but Ogilvy seem just where he is in the rankings and how things are going to play out. Uh, feels like, feels like, uh, feels like he's the safe choice in that. But they all have the potential, which is what's exciting. Um, 
Dennis might have the, you know, when he's redlining might be the toughest to beat. And Felix uh, is pretty, you know, when he's playing, he's again, he's, he's really, really tough to be like, he, uh, they're both can, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see them go deep. Obviously they've already done it at a grand slam and knocking on the door on the women's game, Bianca and Layla, they, Layla and he, they both have proven they can go deep. Rebecca Marino's pushing, pushing, getting higher up, higher up, keeping that slow grind really impressive. So they're all capable. And that's what's, what's exciting right now is that you can go into a grand slam or a big event, Indian Wells and Miami, of course, coming up and, you know, any of them are capable of going on a, a nice run and really electrifying things. And yeah, it's hard to pick, but I guess I'll go with the, the easy choice, I guess. And and for, for Felix, what do you think would be a good year for him? Would it be breaking into the top five, making a slam final? Obviously you could say all of the above, but what do you think is a kind of realistic um, kind of. Well, I mean, you're, you know, trying to do things you haven't done before. Right. So I think if he could win a master's event, that would be really great. If he could make a grand slam final, you know, obviously the goal is to win one, but you're, he's been to a semi or you're trying to keep pushing it. Right. So, I mean, we focus on results and you know, for good reason, but you'd like to see him just look like he's taking a step, right? Like it's, Oh, and the best way to judge that, I suppose, is for him to to go places he hasn't gone yet. So, um, and I'd like you know for Felix, you know, you like to 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 bump the 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 bad loss. You know, there's no shame in losing to some of these elite guys, but sometimes he's you know susceptible to to a, a performance that that is can be kind of eyebrow raising or head scratching, and so you'd like him to like everyone's going to have a bad day, especially in tennis, you know, travel and everything and you're bouncing around and you never know what's going on, but you'd like to see him maybe eliminate that, uh, that bad loss and just, you know, always put him in a position where you're getting cracks, getting chances against the higher ranked guys, knowing that you have the game capable to beat them. And if you just get enough chances, you're going to, you're going to barge through that door eventually. Mm -hmm. No, no, for sure. And, and I think we saw that at the end of last year when he, went on that run of winning was it three tournaments in a row and a semis at a masters uh, 1000 um to, to dennis a little bit he seems to play well in the majors but inconsistent in the smaller tournaments and and just as you mentioned redlining what part of his game do you think he can really improve this year to to be just a more consistent player yeah i'm i don't probably not plugged in enough at the moment okay. uh, to give you a great answer on that one you mentioned consistency, right? That's what we're always looking for. Not, not necessarily from tournament to tournament, but just within a match for him to just kind of fixate, you know, play with margins and go for, he's such an electrifying player and has that amazing one-headed backhand and leaping one-headed backhand that looks so aesthetically pleasing, but just to be a little more patient sometimes. It's always such a struggle because he knows he can do it. He wants to get the fans going and, so just a little more consistency probably within matches. And I'm not sure 100% what he's focused on beyond that, but I'm sure there's areas within his game even more so that he's focused on, on improving. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wanted to ask you kind of a, a bigger question a little bit about the break, the Breakpoint docuseries. And, and do you think that kind of docuseries is good for the sport of tennis? And, and should tennis be trying to do more kind of things like that? Of course, it's good for tennis. I mean, anytime you can get more attention on the sport and, in, in you know, let fans experience, you know, learn more about the players, become more invested in 
the storylines and in the personalities, there's no real downside I can see. So it is good. It's positive. And sure. I mean, I'd love to see the tour keep pushing the envelope and giving fans more behind the scenes content. I mean, that's what they want more than just the press conferences, right? They want to learn more about the individuals, learn more about the sport and any, that's what we are all pushing for in, in journalism. So um, hopefully the tours, you know, they, they are more open to, to, to feature-ish type stuff and, and uh, can only, can only help grow the game for sure. Especially as we get into more of an era where Federer has retired and Nadell is still there, but dealing with injuries, it feels like obviously Djokovic has been still is so dominant, but at some point it's going to be a decline. You'd think Serena just exited. So there's, there's a real opportunity here to, to develop some new personalities that maybe fans don't know as well, but could really embrace. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for, for taking the time to, to come on the podcast. I just wanted to give you the floors or anything that people, anything you want to plug for TSN coming up or anything like that. Not really. Just watch TSN, please. I'm going to go to uh, trade centers coming up and uh, because we're on the air at 8 a.m. and the Leafs are out west in Vancouver, oh, I'll wow. be up when I hit at 520 Pacific, which is never fun. So take pity on me and choose to watch uh, Trade Center okay. and give us the, the viewership uh, on March 3rd there. So I'll definitely uh, be up at uh, 8 a.m. looking at your uh, your face at uh, on Trade Center wide and uh, yes, yeah, so we have a game the day, the night before in Calgary. So I'm taking oh, like wow. an 11 p.m. flight. Uh, probably going to do the second period intermission interview, uh-huh. and then and then leave for the airport and fly to Vancouver to be there so that I can be ready for that 5:20 a.m. hit. I've done Trade Center from the West Coast before. The Leafs were in L.A. Um, it was not uh, it was not fun to be up at 5:20 5 a.m. doing a hit from a cold and dark parking lot. Uh, outside the Kings uh, practice facility and the Leafs are going to have the day off. So at least I don't have to worry about covering practice or anything, but uh, take pity on me and, and watch sports uh, trade center on uh, March 3rd is, is the one thing I'll plug, I guess. I, I hope they don't do a, a deal right at the, the, the 3 PM uh, Eastern mark so that you have uh, more work to do going uh, later in the day. So anyways, thanks so much, Mark, for taking the time and, and coming on. My pleasure.